Hello and welcome to episode number one, the maiden voyage of Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic. We're excited that you have joined us here today. On today's episode, we have a great interview with Justin LeHue, who spoke with us about his time in the Marine Corps. time in the Marine Corps. Um, sort of where he left off, sort of some of the wickets of when he knew he needed to make the transition. Yeah. Uh, the trans- advice he got along the way. Right. Some of the transition that uh, some of the challenges he experienced making that transition and then what he's doing now with History Flight. Yeah, History Flight. And uh, it it goes in depth. Uh, We're actually going to listen to the first half today. We'll have the second half for you later. What was your impression of Sergeant Major LeHue? You guys have a kind of a similar uh, Amtrak and background. Yeah, so, you know, we always uh, served... Uh, sort of in parallel. Uh, he's him being a primarily East Coast Amtrak or me being primarily West Coast. But, you know, it's just hard. I think it's just in the Marine Corps to not know the name LeHue, but especially as an Amtrak or sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, like a living legend, you know, I mean, a awardee, um, you know, a survivor, one of the most. Yeah, the hero of Nasser. Yeah, yeah, chaotic battles of yeah. the invasion. Yeah, um and then near around Fallujah, I believe. Yeah, and then he yeah, yeah he went I think later on it was like uh oh four, oh four, oh five time frame. Um and he'll get into he gets into a little bit of that, but it's worth mentioning, you know, like every guy who's done it and got the t shirt, they don't like they don't talk about it much and you know, extremely humble yeah. guy. I mean, Jesus uh I mean it was really it was an honor to sit and just sort of absorb um, his experiences there for yeah, our time it was, together. It was, it was absorbing it, that's for sure. I hope that that comes through well. Yeah, I mean, he's got just a ton of knowledge to share and just a, a real passion for sharing it. So it was great. All right. Um, but before we get to that interview, this is the Scuttlebutt. This is a new uh, podcast put on by the Marine Corps Association uh, by me, Nick, and you, Vic. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. A handy rhyme. Um, <laughs> and we're, uh, we do want to kind of hit on some of the stuff that's going on in the world right now. And right now, there's some stuff there's going a on lot. in the world. There's yeah, a lot. So, yeah. uh, let's get the big big elephant in the room talked about first, Afghanistan. Yeah, I guess before you even start, like just know going into this that we fully acknowledge that we are not going to dive into these as deeply as we, we could. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, yeah, let's get let's and jump then, into uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as of recording this, we are still in the midst of the pullout. I think they said there's like a couple hundred folks left yeah. to still come out. The yeah. deadline's tomorrow. Yeah. They want to have everybody out by close of business tomorrow. Um, it sounds like uh, we're going to reach that goal, though just barely. Yeah, uh, and, you know, again, this is, you know, scuttlebutt. It's a world according to Vic and Nick. <laughs> uh, but specifically for me, um, you know, it, at least they identified the folks and they are working to get them out. So that's mm-hmm. that's awesome. I mean, a week ago, it was looking like a pipe dream. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there's been a lot of activity that sort of slowed the throughput yeah. for certain and you hear little bits and pieces about some of the little stories on the side that have all been overshadowed, of course, by the uh, the bombing. Yeah. 
um, which knocked out. And then the corresponding missile strikes now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, which are getting shot down, I think, for the most part. No, I'm talking about ours. So oh, ours, we, our response. Yeah, yeah our responses, yeah. 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 But, yes. yeah, now they're, now they're launching rockets sort of indiscriminately at the airfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to sneak something through. Yeah. Um, and that is, I believe that's ISIL. ISIS K. ISIS K. That's responsible for that. That's there's who claim uh, is claiming it, and that's yeah. apparently who we're targeting in our responses as well. Yeah. ISIS K, who yeah. is also at odds with the Taliban. That's right. So uh, interestingly enough, and 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 I don't pretend to be a anthropolog- anthropologist or a sociologist, uh, but from my experiences, um, you know, we send we tend to want to put everybody into a box, this monolithic entity of terrorism mm-hmm. or religious extremism. And they are just so, I mean, it's a kaleidoscope of flavors when yeah. you really unpack what, you know, the difference between an insurgent, between a nationalist, between an extremist, between a zealot, you know, there's mm-hmm. many flavors and uh, yeah, uh, ISIS K and the Taliban, it's not Neapolitan ice cream. Like they do not coexist well. And it, it, it does for me, at least it leaves a lot of questions. Um, so yeah. All right. So let's say we hit, which it looks like we'll hit our evacuation timeline as we wanted. Uh, but what does that do for a vacuum? We've seen vacuums get filled relatively quickly. Um, obviously I think for those listening, Iraq, uh, in, um, 2014 uh, is another sort of scab that's getting reopened right now. Memories of that time and, and the feelings we had. But then I guess if you guys remember, you know, Benghazi, Libya, um, the Arab Spring was not a the the zeal for de- the democratization of the Arab world was was great from an American standpoint. But once that sort of joie de guerre died down there wasn't a lot of infrastructure there weren't a lot of folks who could step in quickly and provide rule of law and stability mm-hmm. it creates a gap in these vacuums and they get filled quickly with extremists um and so yeah you get that kaleidoscope of flavors just come flying in and i think we're going to start seeing a lot of that here because from my experiences and i granted it was almost a decade ago in afghanistan um where Jiroa may have had a lot of um, work that it needed to be done, there was at least a scaffolding of what looked like governance, rule of law, social services, these sorts of things that keep people from flipping out. Mm-hmm. The Taliban, because of the 20 years of us basically having dispersed them to the winds, um, they don't have a Department of the Interior. They don't have a Department of State. They don't have a police force they don't have um nor do they want most of those things see these are the things like so you can argue you know the argument about authoritarian regimes vice bureaucratic vice democracy vice oligarchies blah 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 all these like different ways that humans can rule and, and provide oversight over one another um you still need these sort of figureheads or these organizations that can narrow in on like hey how do we repair roads you know that's not going to be the same guy as like hey here's the ones we have to defend our borders it's just like the same guys like hey here's we're not the people that are going to collect your taxes Mm -hmm. to then provide these essential services water power like all of these things 
you do have to sort of compartmentalize because it's a lot to run a country. It takes yeah. a lot of people and a lot of expertise and a lot of just focusing on your little stovepipe and they don't have that. And so when you start to look at this influx, like how are they going to patrol their borders? And this is where we're starting to see like ISIS-K within a, you know, a few days of us pulling the carpet out from underneath this thing, already found a foothold and already started to become very active in the area. And for all of the rhetoric of the Taliban being more moderate than it was back in 2001, um, they're going to have a hard, real hard time. Um, they're going to essentially be talking out of both sides of their mouth about being this moderate regime now or a moderate version of the Taliban. But then at the same time, they're going to have to use strong arm tactics to try to keep things in line while they get established. And so, yeah, it's going to be tumultuous. And I, I fear that it's just going to bleed into more tribalization, um, warlords not happy with their portions, yeah. outside foreign influences coming in. Uh, and, and, and also, too, you know, Afghanistan is just a traditional... You know, I mean, since the time of Alexander, it's been the place that, that empires fall. Um, and, you know, Alexander, the way he pacified Afghanistan was he married the largest tribe's daughter, like the, the tribal chief's daughter. Uh, or else he probably would have been much further into India than he mm -hmm. ended up being. Um, it's just, it's a hard place to really nail down. And, um, yeah, I, I, I pray for them. And I want obviously nothing for the best, but it's just, it's going to become a vacuum. And it really is a place that these organizations go to hide, to train, to refit. Um, and uh, I think a lot of folks are going to want to go in. And then there's a lot of other national interests, state interests from, you know, regional areas such as like China and Russia that are going to want, and they've got these. You know, rare mineral mines that are just it's massive reserves of lithium. Yeah, I mean, I think the largest one in the world is in Afghanistan in the mountains. And then what? What is it? That is like cellulose too, or whatever. I mean, the things that you use to make cell phones, and and I mean yeah. the types of yeah, materials for microchips and like data processors, and just a perfect, perfect climate due to grow poppies for opium. Well, that happens. Yeah, I mean, we saw so. we saw that. I mean, we. We eventually had to, to concede, and mm -hmm. I think every farmer got an acre, was a lot an acre of poppy, because they could just go out in the desert mm -hmm. and plant it, find water, and then grow massive, massive amounts of poppy. Yeah. So. And there's so much, uh, whether or not you agree with it, so much legitimate use of that. Like, it could be used in medical beyond just the opium epidemic, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there's a... They have a lot of resources that can be fought over, and that is a little worrisome when, yeah, there's no overarching power in place. Yeah. Um, there's an ideological power right now, but yeah. that's as far as it goes. Yeah, and even that's pretty fractured. So the Taliban now on the map looks like they control all but one of our pre, I don't know how we drew them, provinces on there, um, while the old uh, government, now the resistance front, is uh, in control of like some valley in the center somewhere. Um, I think I wrote that down. Uh, the Panjshir resistance um, with Ahmad Massoud and 
Amrullah um, Sala, the former vice president in uh, charge, trying to make things happen over there. Um, so I actually printed out this guy. Uh, Amrullah Sala, if for anybody doesn't know, has a pretty great quote. Um, he's uh, this goes this goes way back to like 2009. So this guy's known he's been a target for the Taliban for a while now. And here's his quote about being the target of assassination. Sure. And if they kill me, I've told my family and my friends not to complain about anything because I've killed many of them with pride, so I'm a very, very legitimate target. Very legitimate. Because when I stand against them, the desire to stand against them is part of my blood. I believe they are wrong. And that is Salah, who's assumed the figurehead of presidency in Afghanistan. You know, there's only a He is of the face of Jairo yeah. right now, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he... Those are some pretty strong convictions. So there's still... Afghans trying to modernize and, like, I don't know if that's the right word, but kind of, like, maintain more of a modern sensibility on I things. think moderate, maybe, moderate, not modern, yeah, but yeah moderate. Yeah, moderate. Uh, they're not the ones that are going to be going around uh, selling their women into slavery. So Yeah, yeah. yeah there were so many times where you thought the light, at least for me, I thought the light bulb went on. I mean, we did... You know, I was with uh, RCT five and, and eleven and twelve, and like we did this thing where we would go around and show them old videos of the seventies back when Afghan was like this hippie, cool, like uh, you know, really modern sort of area where people would go on their way to you know hike the Himalayas or whatever, and you know. Women and people were dressed in like fashionable clothing and everything. I mean, it was like Paris in Central Asia. And when we showed them videos of that uh, to some of the, you know, the elders and the warlords and like these guys would just start crying and remembering those days when they were kids and things were just like, it was just this urbane, hip, modern culture that was welcoming all of these different cultures and, and, and peoples. And it was a, you know, it was a tourist Mecca of all these traveling, you know, hippies and, and, you know, free love type yeah. of people. And, you know, it, you know, I think the Beatles were there at one point um, in their, in their, they were in the area. Yeah. When they yeah. were going through, they got yeah. like really into like this Eastern spirituality stuff. Yeah. I think the, anyways, so it was just that type of place. Uh, and also too, I remember talking to the governor of Marja and he was actually a former communist. Um, and he would talk about how his daughters and, you know, they're learning to read and how it was amazing to hear them reading to him and all these great opportunities for, you know, what he thought was just a very promising future for mm -hmm. Afghanistan because now he was, people were given opportunities that weren't allowed to be given before and, and had a hope for the first yeah. time in, you know, sent, you know, half a century. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't want to see that go away. It's very sad. Yeah. Well, Fortunately slash unfortunately, we're getting a lot of them out of there. So fortunately, they're out of there so that they're not harm's way. Like I think that Ramstein Air Base is as full as it could possibly be. They're starting to get right folks now. at Dulles. I want to say here in Quantico, here? they're starting to they're building um, shelters and stuff to start yeah. taking on people. And I know a lot of the um, faith-based groups are starting to like really kick in a ton of support. Um, and 
I mean, there are Marines out there. Like, I know this guy. If he comes in, he can stay in my basement mm -hmm. until you figure it out. So uh, there's a lot of love. And, and, and so, you know, through all of this, I think we're seeing a lot of just like American goodness yeah. as well, which is awesome to see. Um, but man, yeah. like, I just, I hate to say it, man. It's just like, not again. Like, yeah. Yeah. like <sighs> so, but yeah, and then unfortunately they're not in their country now. They've been displaced. Um, and those are voices that could have been speaking out against, ta uh, Taliban or, uh, I don't know how, how do you define that type of rule? Um, that just kind of traditional i guess uh well, like of governance yeah of governance of treating people uh, yeah at this yeah. point now they're just going to be they're going to be voices yeah. and um you know hopefully that will be heard but yeah. i mean it's and i I, I think back to like um you know when uh i was just a kid you know uh when the iran fell uh to the ayatollah and we had a bunch of uh, Iranian refugees come in. And I mean, they could talk about how that type of religious extremism isn't good, but I mean, you know, you policy to back it up and you got dip diplomacy and all of the, you know, the, the, the various um, political and, you know, ways that you conduct foreign policy and, and diplomacy. And, and it's, it's a slow, yeah. slow go. And they're over here, they're 8,000 miles away. There's only what can you do? So much you can do. I mean, I mean, you just look at all of our, you know, Vietnamese refugees, Cuban refugees, uh, Iranian refugees, Iraqi refugees. But you know, but back in the time of Saddam, mm -hmm. um, and you know, all it's all of the like Cuba, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iran. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I just hope. Hopefully, we'll. Um, you know, make their lives as fulfilling as we can now that they're here. Um, but I mean, you know, these are folks that did more than, you know, 99.9% .9 of the American population did mm -hmm. yeah. in support of American troops and America, American uh, policy. And yeah. So I mean, we got to gotta truly take... invested themselves in the fate of their country and then. Dude, uh, it's insane to hear the stories about the interpreters uh, oh, yeah. and the people that supported us and the things that they would do. And I mean, I saw it and I heard about it. And mm -hmm. I mean, these guys are just like, it's insane. I hope we can get as many of those guys out because they have targets on their head. <sighs> For sure. So, and they had targets back then. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so. So. All right, and then uh, all 13 uh, service members, 11 Marines, one soldier. One uh, sailor. One sailor. Or all home. Um, that plus, uh, you know, 182 people were killed in that attack. Um, it was not a small attack. We can't let the number of Americans who were killed kind of diminish the impact of the overall atrocity. Yeah. Um, but they're all back, um, so if you uh, have the opportunity to thank a service member, you know, of course, 
make sure that uh, yeah, I, I that they're always in harm's way out there. So for sure, uh, and and I mean, I think this is a time too to like you know dig deep and 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 give what you can, but try to give something, even if it's time, even if it's a volunteer thing. But I mean, there's a lot of people that we owe a lot to that are in really bad spots right now. And I think we need to, to, I think generosity goes beyond just financial. And uh, I think we need to open it up, open up our hearts to, to, uh, the families of our fallen brothers and sisters, uh, and our, our Afghans who are now coming here and opening up our homes to them. And, uh, and then we've got Ida, they just oh, pounded. Yeah, Hurricane Ida just rolled through uh, New Orleans. I've <sighs> got Haiti that still hasn't yeah. recovered from a presidential assassination and then yep. a massive earthquake. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, just. 350 Marines, I think, right now in Haiti trying to help with those efforts um, in that neighborhood anyway. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen there either. Because speaking of places that are fracturing. Yeah. Uh, warlords are violent gang leaders or however you wanted to uh well i mean haiti yeah i mean it's yeah. been a hot i mean i i had a battalion commander as a lieutenant was in haiti yeah <laughs> so yeah. i mean it's again it's just one of these things and, and yeah it's what we do as marines um you know we respond to chaos and yeah. um and, and and you know uh you know when, we, when katrina came through last time uh marines were were there uh mm -hmm. first responders um, so yeah, especially, uh, fourth, you know, uh, fourth Marines, uh, you reservists who are listening, um, you know, get ready, uh, the, I mean, there's a, over a million people without power right now in Louisiana yeah. and that's going to be that way for a long time. Yeah. So, uh, with all the preparation for it, uh, we got down there as fast as we could set up like supply stores and everything, but only does so much when the power goes out so yeah no absolutely yeah and uh yeah i mean t in, in the middle of a pandemic yeah, yeah, no, i right. mean a, a, sur a surge it's like this is gonna be yeah, when it rains it pours yeah that's a probably a bad uh, yeah <laughs> but... um, yeah when it rains it pours and gets windy <laughs> yeah so yeah. this is uh yeah this is definitely a time for marines to uh to be ready so yeah, well, in uh, in good news though, we're a little behind the times on this, just based off of when we're coming out. But the Marines did win the uh, F thirty five race. Nice. Uh, we were the first ones to go fully operational with uh, an F thirty five squadron. Uh, which one was that? Of course, that's not. I didn't write that down. VM. Oh no, yeah, there we go. Uh, VMFA three fourteen, Miramar, California, got their. Uh, F-35Cs up and running. Shiny new airplanes. Yeah, I think it was Cs. Could yeah, F-35Cs. I get the Cs and the Bs confused. Yeah, um, I was, uh, yeah, so they're good. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah so uh, it's, not, it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our new shiny weapons of death and destruction are ready to go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just in time. Just in time. All right, well, with that, let's uh, transition into uh, Justin the U, uh, part one. Uh, just kind of. Yeah, you guys enjoy this interview. Again, uh, if you're like we were at the time of the interview, just go ahead and lock yourself into receive mode because yeah, there's a were. lot of. 
A lot of tasty nuggets here. We were awestruck and heard a lot of things that we hadn't heard before. So, absolutely. Um, I mean, and talk about a guy who just loves people, but loves Marines. Loves Marines. Yeah. So that definitely came through strong and loud and clear. For sure. All right. Enjoy. Thank you. So we just want to say hello. Good morning, Sergeant Major LeHue. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm here also here with uh, Nancy Lickman. Senior editor for Leatherneck. Hi, how are you guys? Good, thank you for being here. And as I mentioned, um, our esteemed guest is Sergeant Major Justin LeHue. Great to be with you all today. Thank you so much for yes. being here. Um, this is really great. Thank you for being part of the show. Um, as we discussed, you're our first guest. We wanted to start off big, so I think we definitely nailed that. Um, and we really appreciate your time to be here with us, have a little chin wag. Talk some trash, talk like some it. good stuff. That's a great venue to be in right there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit today about transitioning from active duty. Mm -hmm. You know, we already started a little bit on that in the pre-show. Uh, we're talking about history flight, something that's very uh, near and dear to your heart. And uh, then also professional development, which we were getting into a little bit there as well. And all of it is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, definitely, you know, the title of the podcast is Scuttlebutt but we're trying to get ahead of the actual scuttlebutt and just have a good conversation. Um, you know, very informal coffee site, coffee table, round table sort of discussion and just be frank and be candid about things that are going to impact Marines lives, families, lives, the listeners lives. And like we talked about something that they can take away and be impacted and engaged in a conversation without having to, submit for a board, get accepted to resident school, or take the time to do a non-res program. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot today from you, Sergeant Major, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. But um, before we really get uh, fully into it, um, I will say that as a fellow Amtracker, I'm like super excited right now to be here with <laughs> you. Um, you know, it's a total rock star. Um, but for those who may not know you, uh, would you mind giving us a little bit just of who you are, your journey, what it's been like, both active duty and now in retirement? Um, you know, before we cut into this segment, we'll be giving just a brief sort of overview of who you are. But uh, I'm not going to even pretend that that's going to do your career any real justice. So you mind just sort of walking us through it a little bit on uh, who you are and how you got here? Yeah, Justin LeHue. I uh, entered the Marine Corps in 1988 out of a small town, uh, Columbus Grove, Ohio, up in the upper northwest corner. I uh, went to Paris Island and spent almost 31 of the next greatest years of my life serving in the best uh, military in my life. And uh, at, was in amphibious tanks, which are Amtraks growing up that are there. Uh, and for the most part, Stayed uh, along the lines of the infantry, reconnaissance, and armor fields, blessedly, for almost a majority of my career, which was very unheard of. Um, a stint as a Marine drill instructor along the way for three years, uh, an academics instructor, which I greatly loved and probably helped inspire a little bit of the people that I actually saw that, that invested into me, that saw qualities and said, you would make a great instructor or you would do this. I had those people along the way kind of vector me into certain uh, personally enhancing things that I believe also I could see and say, uh, 
I was able to be put into a position that they felt they best felt I could enhance what it was that they actually saw as well to accomplish that mission. That's what being a drill instructor or an academic instructor in the Marine Corps was to me. It was those two things were probably the biggest things of which I had felt like I have now taken all this in my life, whether it was learning how to be an Amtrak or whether it was learning how to be a Marine, whether it was learning how to be a leader, I was taking, 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 taking. Even if I was in charge of an Amtrak or even if I was in charge of a section or something, of course you're giving, you're mentoring along a smaller thing. But I never felt the higher demand of an institution of a responsibility to now we've given you all this, we're going to now ask you to do something else. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be painful and it's going to be long. And a lot of this is not going to be pleasant along the way, but we're now going to take you out of this element and you've proven yourself in these elements. And we have now matched you with these abilities here. And we want you to go forward with those abilities and we're going to feed you the tools and we're going to help you along the way to make sure that you succeed. And for the most part along the way, I really got to be in the Marine Corps, someone always in the peripheral watching what you were doing that may not have been in direct leadership roles to you, but they were close enough in proximity that probably gave them a really good standoff perspective that wasn't so close to the bang of every day of producing whatever it was on a daily basis you had to produce, whether it's make a Marine, whether it's get the readiness of an AV ready, whether it was your individual mission, of which when you're doing that, you know very well experience. When you're doing that, it's hard to filter in external education or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. when you're competing against the requirements of the job every single day. Yeah, there's always an alligator close to the boat. There is. There's always an alligator, and there's always someone coming out when you do believe you have a breath or you have something to come up for air. There's always something that comes in and goes, party's over. (laughs) We need to now do this or we need to now do that, right? And I found along the way that those people who were on the peripherals, who experienced the same thing in their own world to do that, Somehow, whatever it was that you were doing was different that caught their attention on the peripherals. So much that people who didn't even know you personally would pull you aside or say, hey, can I see you over here? And they'd be in a completely different company or they'd be in a completely different unit. Coasts, yeah. Completely different things, exactly. And they would get to know you a little bit, like where are you from? What are you doing where you're here? And you would find that that perspective gave you a little bit of free mentorship. And I was lucky to never have the people that were on the peripherals that were looking to destroy something. And there are people in life that are like that who are see something that's good and they're out here to go. I'm going to throw something in the spokes of that because of here. I had the peripheral people that were watching out for the times that you would get a little too loose on things or you get a little too crazy as a sergeant or something like this, and somebody would say, like, <laughs> um, you, you got a really good thing going on here, but if you keep doing what you're doing right here, you're, what do you want to, you want to be a Marine for a career? You want to do that? I'm the first person to tell you you're not going to make a career out of the Marine Corps because you will burn out or you will implode 
by X amount of years mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. on this. And I found that these really, there wasn't a lot of those people. But the ones who took the time really mattered. And you knew they cared. And they weren't the people who were trying to throw a stick into your spoke. They were the kind of people that probably said, you and I maybe are never going to work together of our life. And this may be the only conversation we have today. So my mentorship point today to you for this one minute is this. And a lot of those people never told me. I found the beauty of it is they never told me what to do. They had discussions. They gave It showed me what the mm-hmm. options were. Mm-hmm. If you do door A, this may be the outcome. But there's also door B, C, and D. And it was ne- I never felt the need to also look back and say, well, if you were me, which door would you? That was cheating to me, right? right? No, you kind of knew when to leave the conversation, and your choice was A, B, or C. They gave you this veil and showed you that, but they also knew, I'm not you. It's your choice of A, B, and C. And I'm not making an autonomous robot here. Mm-hmm. I want people with choices. So at the time, were you aware of how key those mentors were to you in the long run? I was not. And that's a great question, Nancy, because it's almost like people ask me when they see, uh, you've been down to the office in Fredericksburg there, and you've seen the library I rotate out inside there, which is a small fraction of what's in the basement of the house. It's out that my wife is constantly just looking at me like, why are these books still here? (laughs) And they have dog-eared pages, and they're falling apart, and they're down there. And normally, uh, if I meet certain Marines or or soldiers, sailors, or people that some of those books pertain to that are here, they don't do the best sitting on my shelves in the basement. I'll slide them one of those books. Even though that book really meant a lot to me, it's a sergeant, staff sergeant, a sergeant major, it did. And it ties exactly into what you're saying because why do I keep those books like that? Because that same book I read as a sergeant is going to be an almost completely different book when I read it as a sergeant major. Um, I'm going to take different things from it that I did not see, that did not pertain to me when I focused on certain chapters when I was a sergeant that was here. So I tend to read the same book over and over and over at different junctures in my life. Until I find somebody that comes along that probably needs that a little bit more than I do. And then you slide that thing over. It worked the same with those mentors. A lot of the things they were saying didn't make sense to me at the time. And I was not ready to process what they were saying. Because as we discussed before, I'm worried about getting X amount of AVs into the field, off the deadline report, do what I have to do that was here. And, you know, four, four of my Marines have to go to the rifle range, so their cutting scores will get to here, and you're, you're doing all this, but you're hearing it. And you remembered this person took their time that day for one or two minutes to say this. And I had a very good way of compartmentalizing that somehow. Uh, I don't know what it was, uh, but I could compartmentalize conversations. And you could put them almost in the recesses of your brain and lock them away. And they would always come out at the opportune time, like some heaven's gate opened up later in your life when it was like, oh, my God, that makes sense to me now. 
and it's applic that conversation is applicable nine years. That person, what they were saying when they had said, this may not be applicable to you right now, and you may not be in a position to understand what I'm saying, but if you continue to do what you are doing with the goal that you want to have, you're probably not going to get to nine years from now. Show me doors A, B, and C. Give me a little bit of information. Show me something that I wasn't the closest shark to the boat that I could process. And then drop that little nugget, walk away. That fueled whatever fire that they had going on of mentorship that day. And then nine years later, you're in a situation that somehow your little brain when you defrag a hard drive on a computer and it starts lining up the little freaking plastic <laughs> right. to free up memory space, yeah, yeah. somehow your brain got defragged in the past 24 hours to line those blocks up that open. It's like a Tetris block. Mm -hmm. And this one now has the space to insert itself in there. And it's an epiphany. And a lot of times you can't remember the person's name. You can't remember the conversation, you can't remember what was the instance that drove right. the person to do that because that's still messed up somewhere in the defragged portions, right? For that answer to not come out. But the answer that needed to come out that day is the answer that nine years later that the Marine Corps universities never gave me that answer. The uh, individual leaders that I had to report to never gave me that answer that was on here. An answer was given to me by someone who saw something years ago that planted a seed that that person never, that person knew they were never going to see grow. I dropped this on them, a walk away that was here, and as that seed grows that's out there, that person that you never even remembered who it was that planted that, there probably isn't even a uniform anymore, right. has now impacted the way the Corps and Marines are getting trained, equipped, and led today. And therein is the continuation of the cycle of life in the Marine Corps to do that. Well, I think that's really interesting you mentioned that because what we were talking about earlier with devices, this information proliferation that we're seeing, kids being able to fact check you, bullshit sniff you, all that stuff is you're not going to get that seed bed. You're not going to get that. Um, defrag from your tablet, from your phone. As awesome as those things are, they're very limited. Again, we talked about how they're distancing. They're giving us all these things that connect us, but we feel more removed from one another than ever. Going into your phone and, and Googling something or fact-checking or just getting information isn't going to plant that thing in your brain that is going to stay with you so that as your experiences mature, as your worldview matures, is going to then help shape your next move. So you talked about like, well, what next steps aren't what next lieutenant? That phone's not going to give you that. You know, it's a tool. It's a very, very good tool, but it's not planting that seed bed. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Like, so what do we do now for leaders in this era? Do you have to come prepared for every eventuality when you sit in front of a Marine? Or do you just need to humble yourself and then just say, hey, look, I'm not going to give you all the answers that I can't, but I'll give you these options like you had mentioned. I'll give you some scenarios. I'll give you my personal experience on what this is like. But again, that requires to sit down, that engaged. So, the, yeah, the staff sergeant maybe isn't coming 
to formation with a clipboard, but we're doing those one-on-one counseling sessions, right? We're doing that knee-to-knee, get-to-know-you stuff. You've got, I uh, remember the old platoon commander's notebooks, like my old one, I had like all my Marines, the bio, picture. I want you to write something about yourself just so I can see, sort of get into your headspace a little bit. I don't know, what are your th- some of your thoughts on how do leaders now navigate this world of, of overly saturated information and availability? That is an awesome question because I believe that you, you nailed it when you said the word tool. Um, tools are enhancers. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy, the Coast Guard, your business, uh, Fortune 500 company, they a little bit different when you have quarterly reports, bottom lines of what their missions are going towards compared to, uh, you know, HMX-1 that has to primarily keep the president and everything else uh, and, and those aircraft that are in the air, that are on there, right? Um, make no mistake that what does not change in a leader with all these tools and enhancers that are out there is the Marine Corps' investment always needs to be Marine itself. The Marine is the platform of investment and the tools are the bolt-ons on to the platform of the investment. Whether that's through the education continuum, whether that's through the fluoride in the water, like I said before, we create you as a Marine and we do this. And then once you do that, you need to water that plant along the way. To your point is, you can't just then throw a computer into their hand and say, well, go ahead and figure it out yourself that's here, right? You just Google it. You do. (laughs) You need to, and that has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, what also has a purpose is fact-checking things three or four times, meaning don't trust a single source in research. You have to have multiple sources before you are going to make a decision that validates the decision you're about to make, especially when you are talking about an investment in people's lives. That's the difference in our business and the difference in a Fortune 500 company is the investment in the human capital results in the investment in life that day, whether you're watering it along the way to grow, to perform what it needs to perform at certain stages in their life, uh, it waters along the way to return that individual back to a society uh, in which that may be drastically different from which society the person then came from and put the uniform on. But it is not the F-35. It is not the AAV. It is not the tank itself that wins anything on the field of battle. Absolutely. It is the people who operate that machinery. Uh, The flak jacket that is on there, that is a great enhancement compared to guys who walked across the Pusan perimeter or came out of the front end of LC. VPs, and the only thing they had was a thin skin, herringbone twill thin is on here. That is a great enhancer. But if you don't invest the time into the Marine that is going to cross Lundi to assault Saipan in 1944 and equip them with the pride, discipline, desire, motivation, love for their fellow brother, uh, you all you have is what you have on your back. Make use of the resources that you have here don't want for something, deal with what you have that is here and work the problems with what you have because mm-hmm. this is a pipe dream. We can want for something every day, but the reality is this. 
Those are the conversations that leaders need to have at the human element level, whether it's through the podcasts, whether it's through the kneecap to kneecap, that is the warfighting discussions on training, mentoring, and equipping and building the platform. Because when you have a stable platform and a foundation in a house, you don't worry about the house is going to crumble from the roof on down. Right. You have a stable foundation platform. That now means I can extend my house. I can put something addition on my house. I can add more weight to my house that is on there because I know how solid the foundation is right. to begin with. So the investments that we are talking about right now never need to go away from the understanding that the investment must always be the Marine. And then when we invest in the Marine, everything else, the tools, are the bolt-on that we make that individual faster, stronger, better. The tools become enhancers, and the Marine does not become dependent on the tools. And the tools are really dependent on the Marine. The the F-35 don't fly without a Marine that's in there. Mm -hmm. And even if we're going to AI or anything else that is out there, uh, John Boyd, taught people a lot of years ago about the OODA concept. And the OODA concept in a mainframe of cycling through an AI about an AI experience and people are going to eventually look like the movie Stealth. You know, we're just going to launch remote drones from aircraft carriers. Yep. They're going to go into the thing that was here. Um, not in my lifetime, not in your lifetime. We will see it. We will see it as an enhancer. We will see it in our lifetime that's on flight decks, they're there now, that are here. But we're also not going to see the replacement of pilots coming out of a brief in a ready room that actually have to do a mission IP and have to make decisions along that line Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in in connection with those who are on the ground that are giving you a visual of what they are seeing. And everything that is in the pilot's training, and I can refer to a nine-line medevac, we went from a nine-line medevac, I will let you know, in the city of Najaf, down to about a four-line medevac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was. And it wasn't anything. Well, any- the, the pilots used to say, just give me the first four lines. It That's wasn't it. anything that anybody wrote down. It yep. wasn't here. The OODA cycle from the ground on learning a nine-line that was here compared to the stack that is circling above saying, I have this ordinance. I am on station. I have here. What do you need? What do you need? Yeah. What do you need? The interpretation was the pilot is then listening to the person talk on the ground. And the person, it was as easy as saying 150 meters north of the last target drop you just put in. They have that already plugged into mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. They know where your line is, and they know that you have eyes on to that now. John Boyd's OODA cycle that is observe, decide, and act. Nobody has been able in combat to outcycle a human being with that who has eyes on a certain thing. So therefore, the AI or the other things are the enhancers to the human element that make that person more better trained and equipped to fulfill that mission that is on there. So as long as the U.S. military separates and identifies these are tools, 
these are the iPads we're giving students in the universities mm -hmm. where the first people who ever saw that were like, oh, it's all going to go to shit now. <laughs> you know, that, right. removes, that right. removes this guy, that removes this guy. It does if you allow that to happen. Right. But you need to know the limit of advance on what that piece of machinery, why did you want it in the first place? It's the same thing why the limit of advance on this podcast is, why do you want a podcast in the first place? It isn't just so you can just have cool discussions between four people and you keep that to yourself inside of a thing. This provides an enhancement right. to everything else that we were talking about. So that was a fabulous question. Well, thanks. Yeah, I think the, the key thing that you said there that really resonated with me was the listening part. And I remember hearing the same thing from the pilots like, hey, I just need enough information to get me off the ground. Once I'm in the air, I can get that other stuff that I don't really, that I don't need to get me in the cockpit and get me up there to come start saving lives. Just tell me where you are, what you need me to pack in this thing, and what we need to get them out of here. And then that's it. I, once we're up in the air, I can figure the rest of that other stuff out. So like you said, don't, don't, I don't need the full nine. I just need what I need to get you in the air so I can cut that golden hour down. And I think... The golden hour maybe is a good analogy for what we're talking about with leadership, especially now with, I mean, let's be quite frank, you know, kids, this current generation has a, like a severe mistrust in authority. And I think we talked earlier about how in the past you could really rely on your authority because people trusted that because you're in a position of authority, you were worthy of being trusted. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways, and I think I've seen this before, I wish I'd made this up, but the, I can't take credit for it, but we're no longer in like an information age, we're in a reputation age. And so I think when you're talking about listening, I think for everybody out there who's around Marines, uh, who's leading Marines, who's a family member of a Marine, I think that listening part is the thing that those tools aren't going to do. You can trust the tools because I can give you a TM that tells you how to fix it, and what it's supposed to do. We could go out in the training area. We could go play around with our toys. So you can trust it in that way. But how do you trust a person? Right? I think it's listening, I think, is what, what you had mentioned there. You and, have to build relationships. Mm -hmm. The trust is always built on a relationship. Trust is not built. In my world, trust has never been built and freely given on a reputation. I have to get to know you. I have to get to know how you fit into the puzzle that is on that. Like you said before, when we started the podcast on the major, I'm, a, I'm an Amtracker that came in. So although we've never met personally, I know you by professional mm -hmm. reputation. Mm -hmm. Professional reputation gives someone a certain level of expectations of they can read, they can hear stories from other people. Now there is an expectation of when this person gets to my unit or whatever, I kind of have an idea about how they operate or I kind of have an idea about what I need to do to make sure that I accomplish the mission or whatever to set down. Whether the individual comes in, whether it's, whether it's uh, General James Conway, whether it's anybody, there is a certain level of people don't always know the people who are the leaders coming in, but they know them by reputation. So I'm not just waiting for that person to come in and kill dead time. I can already start maneuvering the pieces on the transport to make it so that we already know to a certain element how that person's going to be when they get here so we can hit the ground running and provide them more think space so they don't have to see and worry about these really small little things here 
because by professional reputation, they are these, uh, they are these bigger thinkers that the Marine Corps has put in these certain areas to move larger blue arrows than get down into understand the viscosity level of, uh, of a truck right. because we don't need them to do that. That's my responsibility as a unit to interpret the reputation that is coming in and prepare a unit for the reputation to eventually meet the expectations of that commander or somebody coming in. But that right there had nothing to do with the level of trust that that person or I have together. The level of trust at that point is that is a U.S. Marine and I am a U.S. Marine. We share these core foundational things, regardless if we're black, white, Puerto Rican, Jew, and how we were built. Mm -hmm. And through our experiences at our rank levels, we then bring these other things to the table that are those intangibles, those bolt-ons that, as General Dunford laid out, those 10,000 hours mm -hmm. and reps yep. and sets yep. that, that it comes with the training. If I see a gunnery sergeant, there is an expectation at the... Gunnery Sergeant that's had 12 years in the Marine Corps, there's an expectation that they come with these basic sets of skills. The foundation you mentioned. It's exactly right. Yeah. They, they come with the sergeant's course. They come with whatever that brought them to here. I don't have to know their MOS. this. Expectation is a Gunnery Sergeant can do this when they come here. You are in a bad state of affairs if you think that every Gunnery Sergeant is created the same. <laughs> and that respect and expectation is... There's a basic expectation when they come in. And until I get to know who that person is, I don't really know what that person can do for this unit or their intangibles that wasn't earned along the way of the same path that yours was because you're a gunnery sergeant, they're a gunnery sergeant. You're looking at bios, you're looking at this. That person don't have five floats. That person doesn't have this, so they don't have that but they have these basic things that mm -hmm, are here. Mm -hmm. The conversations teach you a lot. The conversations teach you to move away from someone's bio and move away from the conversation of what the reputation was and it allows you to understand what the human being can do and how you as a leader can fit that in to what the commander's intent is or what they can do there. And in order to do that, you have to get to know the people. And you have to expose yourself to that. A lot of people that I know are very introverted. I'm very introverted. I like my private time. I like to do that. One of the harder things that you have to do when you have those core skills or you have that, um, when you call it, you have that timing rate or you have that thing is that does nothing if you're continuing to just closet that and couch that, that it's right. here. Even if you have an uncomfortable or queasy feeling, you got to open up the door. You got to go to the motor pool. Can't you got to engage the leadership. person. That's right. <laughs> you have to do that, and you have to engage that. That may not be you. You're you're saying personally, that's not who I am. I'm uncomfortable. Sergeant or the captain doesn't know that down there, but they know there's a certain level of reputation, and there's an expectation that goes. And as a leader, the bond of respect is going to be when I get to know you as a leader. Right. It's the same thing that when men go to combat that are out there, that they turn around to families. That's why we have family days before we ever do that. A man will fight harder for a person that they know and someone that they don't. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's the basic, 
theory that goes all the way back to when villagers fought for villagers and men fought for cavemen. A Moraine will always fight for a Moraine. That's awesome. What I'm going to tell you is it's a different story when you are in situations and you know that Joe has an 18-month-old yep. at the house. Yep. His wife is now pregnant. Uh, you guys went and gave him the baby baskets and collected up $5 from the unit and everything else. Those family days are a combat enhancer to the 10th power because those are the intangibles that are taught in Marines that are in there that increases the fighting capacity of a unit to the 10th power. Absolutely. You will fight harsher, harder, and everything because you know um, when I get off the bus at the other end, I want Joe to be there with me. It will be the most painful thing in my life if I have to get off the bus and go to Joe's family. Yeah, I'm the Joe first one to see it. his newborn because he didn't I'm the first one it. to do that. And man and whippet and combat that don't even know each other like that, on the basic fundamental foundations, you will always fight for each other. I love that. But on those units who were really, you could see the difference. You could see the, 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 the togetherness when they went. You could see the togetherness when they come home. And then in that once a Marine, always a Marine concept, you will find that those types of units are the togetherness that people have for their bonds for the rest of their life. You won't make a lot of new friends along the way. You kind of wonder. I had great experiences along the way with so many people in uniform. There are certain people that get together every day for the rest of their life. Uh, and it's normally not the people who just went on a float together that sailed around the Adriatic and didn't, I had a great time to do that, but there wasn't that extra level that went into that. There was a mission accomplishment, but the guys and gals that you're getting together with the rest of your life are normally the people that embody everything that we've been talking about today. And they're also the people that through the trials and hardships and tribulations of everything, both good and bad for you and the other person on your bad days, they had their good days to get you through their bad days. On your good day, you help bring somebody's bad day up to do that. And then when you hang up a uniform, you find out those are the kind of bonds and intangible bonds that you will have for the rest of your life. Well, I think that is a tremendous segue into the next part of this that I want to talk to you about, and that is the transition and how it's not so easy. The one guarantee that you have when you step on those yellow footprints is you're going to be stepping off of them. You're not going to be wearing that uniform forever, whether you're a first, you know, you did your four and then adios machachos, or you did 30. At some point, the commandant has to step away, step out of uniform and be something else. Um, and I don't know if everybody is ready for uh, that transition. And then as we talk about team and about, that trust and that bond, we start to talk about history flight and some of the things you're doing. And speaking of how fast it all happens, that went by quick, right, Vic? Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. And then before we sign out, uh, the Marine Corps Association does help put on professional dinners where we can recognize the outstanding efforts of Marines throughout the Corps. Through their, and we, they are split up by discipline. So in the last month... We have had the uh, Acquisition Awards Dinner, and I'd like to just uh, call out 
uh, Master Gunnery Sergeant Alfredo T. Franco, who won the 2020 uh, Eugene M. Stoner Award for Acquisition and Innovation Excellence for the Staff NCO. Uh, Colonel Kirk D. Mullins, who won the Andrew J. Higgins Award for Acquisitions, Innovation, and Excellence in the Officer category. Amtracker, by the way. Amtracker. Yeah. There you go. You know uh, Mr. Mullins? Oh, I know, I, know, I know Colonel Mullins well. Yeah, he's yeah. awesome. All right. That's excellent. Uh, sounds <laughs> like he's deserving then. Yeah. So one of our guests, uh, our future guests, Colonel Tim Howe, uh, took over for uh, Colonel Wallens. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, so uh, for those keeping up with the lore of the podcast. That's uh, <laughs> right. Stand by for that. Stand like, by for a fantastic that. interview. That so. will be coming at you soon. Late October. Late October, I think, yep. yes. Um, also, uh, Miss Deborah C. Olson won the Donald Rubling Award for Acquisition and Innovation and Excellence in the civilian category. And then... Uh, I think that was all the awards given out at that one. We also had the Combat Development Dinner and Awards Ceremony. That was here at the Clubs of Quantico. Uh, I would like to congratulate Staff Sergeant Gerard K. Patton for the Expeditionary Warfare Excellence Award for the Staff NCO. Uh, Lieutenant Robert L. Harned for the Expedition Warfare Excellence Award for Navy Officer. Chief Curtis A. Brody, Expeditionary Warfare Excellence Award for Enlisted Sailor. And Major Brian A. Kerg for the same award, Expeditionary Warfare Excellence Award for Marine Officer. And then last but not least here. I want to say uh, Major Kerg as well. You could see uh, him published in the uh, Acquisitions Edition of the Marine Corps Gazette. Which month was that? That was last month. That was last month being so September? August. August. Yeah. All right. Because yeah. September just came out. Right. Um both as of recording this and people hearing it yeah, for the yeah, first time. Yeah, that's right. So, all so right. yeah, check out Major Kirk in uh, the August edition and of he's a, a regular contributor to Gazette, am I right? Yeah, I believe I so. Like I've seen his name yeah. pop up a few times. And then at the Ammotech Awards Center, I'd like to congratulate Chief Warrant Officer 2, Robert S. Jevening, for earning the Gunnery Sergeant Edwin W. Johnson Jr. Memorial Ammunition Officer of the Year Award. Sergeant Jacob S. Orozco for the Gunnery Sergeant Edwin W. Johnson Jr. Memorial Ammunition Non-Commissioned Officer of the Year Award. Gunnery Sergeant William C. James for the Gunnery Sergeant Edwin W. Johnson Jr. Memorial Ammunition Staff Non-Commissioned Officer of the Year. And to Lance Corporal Russell P. Yee for the Gunnery Sergeant Edwin W. Johnson Jr. Memorial Ammunition Tech of the Year. And that Sums up everybody. So congratulations yeah, to all those, those Marines. Semper Fidelis. Yeah, that was awesome. Good job. Outstanding Marines, outstanding in their fields. Uh, we'll uh, bring you more award winners as they come up. And if you would like to join us at any of our events, most of them are in the National Capital Region. Find us at our website at mca-marines.org. You can also find us on Facebook. Just look for the Marine Corps Association, Twitter at MCA underscore Marines, Instagram, same thing, MCA underscore Marines. If you'd like to talk about anything we're doing, hashtag us at MCA Scuttlebutt. Uh, don't forget to check out HistoryFlight.com to help support uh, Sergeant Major LeHue and his efforts. Absolutely. And they are at History underscore Flight. And you can find the article for the DPAA and History Flight within the show description. So... Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Obviously, 
this is for you. Uh, it's about you. And so we really appreciate you guys listening in. All right. And we are young informative, so feedback is welcome. Oh, please give, send it to us. No right. trolls, though. No trolls. All right. <laughs> Signing off. Yeah. This is Nick. This is Vic. All right. Take, out. Out. Out.